0: Right, 614 Startups Nation, welcome to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, your host, and this is the number one source of startup news in Columbus, Ohio. I'm here with my very special guest tonight, Lauren Parker of Fraser Hybe. Lauren, welcome to the show. Elio, thanks for having me. All right, awesome. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, this is kind of a new phase in the podcast's life. Usually we do just do straight on interviews. Uh, with startup founders, but now we want to bring on the experts to broaden the conversation. Your agency, Fraser Hybe, specializes in marketing and communications. We want to talk about why that matters to the startup community and what founders should be thinking about when they make uh, considerations around marketing and communication. But first, got to kick it off with a little thank you to one of our sponsors. I'm so excited to be able to say these lines, man. I've dreamed about it for a long time. And this shout out goes to our supporters, Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsurTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, Visit www.nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, that website is www.nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. All right, we made it. We made it. All right, Lauren, let's get into it. For folks who don't know who you are, why don't you start with a bit of your personal background and how you got into this field?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I am an Ohio native at heart. I grew up in Dayton, uh, but professionally spent the first 10 years or so of my career in New York City. I have always been on the consulting side, working for large agencies and driving brand and, and marketing and communication initiatives for uh, brands as large and global and well-known as BMW and Ernst & Young down to really scrappy startups that are just getting their, their, uh, their feet wet. So, um, about five years ago, uh, my husband and I found out that our, our family was expanding and that was our cue to leave Manhattan. And because of my husband's job, Columbus is, uh, is where we landed and we could not be more happy. Um, mainly because all the things we loved about New York, we have found here in the Columbus community, maybe just at a smaller scale. And through that that period of the last five years or so, my career has taken a really wild and unexpected turn in that I have become an entrepreneur myself, uh, which was not necessarily part of the plan or or a path that I had charted intentionally, but um, I'm thrilled that that's, that's where I've landed.
0: Yeah, awesome. And we like serendipity here on the show, so you have to tell us the story going from kind of uh, pursuing your career, moving to Columbus, Ohio, and then stumbling upon this opportunity to become an entrepreneur. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, an, an entrepreneur by accident is how I'll describe myself. Um, like I said, the the first couple of years when I moved here from New York, my job was portable. So I was still working for a large agency in Manhattan, um, working out of my home and and traveling like crazy. Um, I did that for about three and a half years. And during that time, I actually had had a third little one. So juggling the um life on the road and early stages of motherhood was just not a sustainable reality for me, so I really started putting uh, an effort in building my network and and getting to know um, other really smart and successful professionals here in Central Ohio. And through that networking process, I came upon Fraser Hybe. Um, it was a small little agency that could. It's uh, it's about forty years old, older than myself. And I, as I got to know the now, former owners, I I thought, you know, this is a really solid solid agency with a really great book of business. It's it's just been flying under the radar, and the more I got to speak and 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 get to know the the leadership team that was in place, um, the two prior owners were, you know, men of a certain age that were starting to eye retirement, and here I was, this plucky 30-something-year-old female with big ideas about how they could improve their business. And just really organically, I would say, um, we kind of came to this conclusion that a succession plan might be right here in place. And especially when I met my now business partners, Ann Mulvaney and Whitney Somerville, uh, they were VPs at the time at, at Fraser Heiby. And the three of us, again, we're all women, all about the same age, all incredibly driven and inspired by doing great work. Um, it it just really made sense. So we we put our heads together and came up with a really great transition plan that allowed me to come on board for about a year, year and a half while the prior CEO was in place. Again, I didn't know how to be a CEO. <laughs> so we, we called that time affectionately the uh, the training wheels year. Where I got to really study under uh, my predecessor and understand the business, ask a lot of questions and talk to a lot of other small business owners about what works and you know how to build that roadmap forward and by the time I was able to officially take the reins, uh, which was January 2020 I apparently the universe didn't, uh, or the universe thought maybe I was getting a little too cocky just a few years into my tenure and through the the curveball of the century <laughs> during uh, early on in my in my tenure as CEO. So the last year has just been a total whirlwind, but it's uh, it's it's a journey I've been really grateful for um, because I, I cannot say, uh, enough about how much I've grown personally and professionally, how much I've been challenged uh, and, and how much I appreciate the team that's around me.
0: Wow, that's great to know, because we didn't know that the trigger for 2020 was you taking over Fraser Hybe. Now we know the yes, cause. I'll take all the blame. Okay, <laughs> uh, right. So let's talk about Fraser Hybe and what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So um, we are an
1: integrated marketing and communications agency. We, at our core, believe that every business has challenge. And regardless of what that solution to that business challenge is, communications needs to play a role. A lot of times, whether you're looking at, you know, early, you know, early pre-funded startups to really well-established businesses again, if there is not shared alignment at the leadership level, if there's not a clear and consistent dissemination of information throughout the organization, there is going to be a breakdown. And looking externally, it's all about building your reputation and making sure that the audiences that you're trying to reach understand what you have to offer. And perhaps even more so, the business understands the people that they're trying to reach. That's really at the crux of public relations. It's It's not about broadcasting what you want to say to those internal or external audiences. It's about creating a dialogue and about understanding how we can find shared commonalities and and in doing so, move
0: the world forward. All right. So what are the components of good communication? Because you use the word, you have to think about it, but it also has to uh, accomplish the goals that are set forth. So Mm -hmm. what are the components of good communication, both internally and externally? Yes,
1: I, I think it really comes down to clarity, consistency, and compromise it's about making sure that you have a really clear and definitive point of view that you are articulating as clearly and consistently as possible so if you know if you are a ceo and you are making big bold moves and shaking things up and you know moving beyond the status quo if you want to have people come along with you whether that's your leadership team whether that's every employee down to you know your junior most associate um, they have to get on board and understand that vision. Um, but you're not going to be persuasive in doing so if you don't understand what motivates those people that that you need to come along with you. Again, so that's where the compromise comes in. It's about understanding the motivations, the perceptions, the experiences of those people either on the employee side of things or if you're trying to penetrate a new market or, you know, enter enter into a new geography. Um, you need to understand what you're walking into because if you just come in and again broadcast your message without, you know, taking the temperature of what you're walking into, your message ultimately isn't going to land.
0: All right. So let's let's take clarity. All right. Mm-hmm. That's that. I mean, that requires some thought. Mm-hmm. It requires discipline. Mm-hmm. How do you get entrepreneurs who are notoriously right? Shifty, jittery, (laughs) change on a dime, adopt new ideas, want to go in a thousand different directions. How do you help entrepreneurs get clear that Mm. thinking that's required, that discipline that's required, that in, in political speak, staying on message? How do you help entrepreneurs stay on message?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. And and there's a lot actually to unpack in what you just talked about. I think um, to my earlier point about solving business problems, a lot of times I think businesses say, we need to reach out and get a communications or a marketing firm on board because something's wrong, something's not working, or we are making a big big shift and we need to make sure that we're thinking that through. Um, We always say that, you know, when we come into any sort of a situation and working with a new or established client, we need to really make sure that we're solving the right problem. Um, I'm I'm a Dayton native. So one of my favorite quotes actually comes from Charles Kettering, the famed Daytonian. Um, and he said, a problem well stated is half solved. And I think a lot of times people, um, when they are shooting from the hip, they're making decisions at a thousand miles an hour, you're overlooking the fact that you might not be solving to the right problem. And so we like to come in and really help people slow down and understand what are you trying to accomplish as a business? And particularly for an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs tend to erupt out of this need for something that is missing in the marketplace. I've, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs where they're like, I had this need and I looked at a lot of different companies and I couldn't find the perfect fit. So I just decided I'm going to create it myself. And so I I like to use that metaphor in working with entrepreneurs where it's like, okay, if you're going to be clear and if you're going to be consistent with your message, figure out what problem it is that you are solving for people and stick to it. That becomes your home-based message. It's something that you come back to time and time and time again. And the more that you can convey that drumbeat message, the more people are going to get on board and really understand your value proposition.
0: All right, and, and, and so that's one part of it, right? Staying uh, clear uh, and you have to really think about it. You have to stay disciplined, you have to stay on message. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk from a marketing perspective and kind of mix it in with communications, right? So one of the mm-hmm. things that we talk about early on is you have to know your market you have to understand your niche really understand what the needs of that market are Mm -hmm. how do you go from understanding the needs of the market and then finding a way to communicate in the language that reaches that market and resonates with them right because you could actually be solving their problem but you it could just be a complete miss on the message how do you go through that process of finding how to say what you're doing in a way that resonates with your audience?
1: I love this question. Uh, There are a lot of agencies that either play in the marketing lane or the communications lane. And we all know marketing with a capital M, it is a data-driven numbers game. There's a clear correlation between your dollars spent to how that tracks to your bottom line. And a lot of that, marketing strategy is driven to your point by doing the research doing the homework understanding your target personas understanding their customer journey understanding all these parts and pieces that go into a decision-making process of their target audience on the flip side communications people are often very data averse we're we are the numbers people it's all about building that emotional connection and you know crafting that message And I am a firm believer that data can drive both sides and a business is going to be the most successful when it fully embraces both marketing and communications because especially in this digital world that we're living in, there is this massive convergence where any aspect, any any potential way that a customer, an investor, a partner, any of these potential stakeholders they have so many different ways different entry points into coming across your business going deep and really understanding what your business does or offers or what it could be and so making sure that the marketing piece is again incredibly smart incredibly data-driven it's just as important to do that on the communication side and so we take a really um a really rigorous data-driven approach both. A, to the communication side, just as we would on the marketing side, where it is all about understanding who we're trying to talk to. It's about understanding their mindset and their motivations and their needs, and making sure that any of the messaging and the you know everything from you know traditional PR to owned communication channels are in sync with any of the marketing outputs. Um, And are flexible and dynamic in terms of, you know, adjusting to the needs of those core stakeholders, because it's it's never just a one and done. It's not an if you build it, they will come. You have to make sure that you're continually keeping your finger on the pulse of those people that you're trying to serve and and being adaptable and amenable to what's going to serve them best.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's that triggering of emotion. Mm. Right. It's the, yeah, you got the market right, but you haven't reached them, right? You haven't touched them. Yeah. It, it hasn't really gotten to that point with them where they want to engage with you um, in, 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 in a way that is authentic to them. And, and that's what I want to come back to after we take a quick break. I want to talk about authenticity mm. and believability, all right? So our next uh, sponsor is Color Coded Labs. It's time for a better career in tech. Introducing Color Coded Labs, a 16-week boot camp that does more than teach basic code. It is a program designed to help you actually get a career in tech. At Color Coded Labs, we've removed all the barriers to help you learn the skills you need to start a career you love in weeks, not years. All designed for people of color by people of color. Apply now at colorcodedlabs.com. All right. Talk about a mission and being clear. That was short and sweet. All right. Let's talk about authenticity and believability. I think we get so many messages and we've evolved to make snap judgments. Mm -hmm. When you Mm -hmm. get a message from a brand uh, have you looked into how we evaluate the authenticity? Because I know oftentimes we don't have the body language to go with it and human beings are, are close observers or body languages, uh, language to determine authenticity and believability. But when you're talking with, about a brand with no body, right, right? What are we as consumers reading when we say, oh yeah, they're being authentic or that's believable and it goes beyond just what you're saying?
1: Yeah, I, I, I love this question because especially if we look at the data, younger people that have this immense buying power, um, you know, the, the Gen Zs and even the millennials to an extent, you know, we want to buy from companies with a purpose. And there is increasingly this demand around buying, making decisions that are more than just the utility of the product that I need. People that want to spend their money want to know that they are spending their money with organizations that have shared values and and again particularly these younger generations want to use their buying buying power buying potential as an extension of their their authentic selves and how they they so essentially there is a higher bar um for companies to put a stake in the ground on these big social issues for example that have been you know ricocheting throughout our culture over the last couple of years. Whereas you know, 10, 15 years ago, there was not an expectation that any company necessarily had to go out and put out a statement about their position on Black Lives Matter. Now there are people that are going directly to the CEO on the CEO social media channels, whether it's their own employees or their own customers that are saying, where do you stand on this? And Because it's such a critical part of how they are vetting the various options uh, for where they can spend their dollars. And to your point about people want to engage with a person, not a logo. I think especially looking at social media, there are definitely some breakout brands that have figured out how to personify their brand like to the max. I think our local our local sweetheart in Wendy's is a great example, um, but to do that well, there has to be a really clearly articulated Point of view from that organization, um, and and a clear not, and I'm not just talking about a mission statement or a purpose statement. Those are important components, but it's 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 what permeates throughout the organization. It's what becomes the north star for how leadership makes decisions and it becomes the the benchmark for what that both employee experience and customer experience is when you're dealing with an organization. So again, it's it's definitely something that's evolving, but it's something that's more top of mind where consumers expect to have that accessibility to the people behind the brands. Again, you know, you see people that if they're having, you know, if If their cable's out, they're going to be tweeting directly at, you know, whoever is going to get them an answer the fastest. So having a really clear and authentic um, understanding both, and it starts at the top, of course. You want to make sure that there is authenticity at the very top as a founder, as a CEO, as a leader, um, and just let that permeate throughout the organization because it becomes a lighter lift to be authentic when they're when you are hiring for shared values, when you just have a really clear and compelling articulation of what the organization does and stands for. And people will notice it it's because it's, it's clear when you're faking.
0: All right. So let's, let's again, combine the marketing and the communication. So let's say you get hired by a firm, right? Mm -hmm. Or we have somebody watching, they're not quite ready to hire a firm yet. What kind of auditing process of their marketing material, communication? What are some things that you look at to get a baseline mm-hmm. for where a company is in terms of their messaging? Yep. Uh, first and, and what, what are some things you just look at in general and we'll build from there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, we we have a tried and true process, but it's always something that we like to put a little bit of a a personal flavor to depending on the organization. So it's it's never just an off the shelf, check the box, this is what we do. But in more general terms, we want to, um, if we're working with an established brand, get our hands on any and all marketing materials um, that have been produced to date, just so we can see not just how they're talking about themselves now, but even historically, how that message has evolved over time. Um, we want to look at competitors And it's always interesting, depending on the industry, sometimes defining who your competitors are is a really easy task. And sometimes it's a lot more murky. Um, But we want to make sure that we have a a really good sampling of, you know, who are you up against and who else is in that chatter in the back of the minds of the consumers or, again, investors, whatever the, the target audience is. Who else is playing in the same space? And we do a really thorough and extensive look at how do they talk about themselves? Who do they use as public spokespeople? How how accessible and available are they are through their paid, earned, and owned social, paid, earned, and owned channels? Um, and then we want to talk to stakeholders, whether that's through a really comprehensive survey of employees for example Um, and again sometimes we'll leverage existing data if they do a quarterly employee engagement survey we want to look back at the historic results there Um, but my favorite is really literally getting in the room or in in the Zoom call with key stakeholders and hearing right from the horse's mouth, you know, what's the current state of the brand? What's the desired state of the brand? Where are the gaps? What are, you know, a, a traditional SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats? And, you know, once we can take all of that primary research, we also want to make sure that we're taking a look at what's happening outside of the organization? What's the broader market con- context in which they're operating? Um, because yes, we want to take into account what you're saying and what your competitors are saying, but can we get any indication of what's happening more broadly in the in both that particular industry, but also in the broader cultural zeitgeist? Um, and then again, once we have that really comprehensive picture, typically my team is going to literally roll up our sleeves and, and do a series of week of you know war room strategy sessions where we really dig in, we look for patterns, we try to understand um what what are those key insights that will really drive our strategic approach. And this is a collaborative process. We don't ever like to work with um with a, a client that is going to send us off to work in a vacuum. We we really appreciate that level of collaboration um, where the clients are are right in there with us and and offering their point of view and can serve as that sounding board. So um, it's it's a really fun discovery process when um, you go in it with an open mind. You cannot go in with any preconceived notions. You can have a hunch of maybe what you think the direction might be that we should take but the very best work always comes when you have that completely surprising aha moment that just brings everything into focus and then that that you know seamlessly becomes your roadmap moving forward
0: all right. Now we know there's more to Fraser Hybe than just this topic, but I do want to talk about it because, like you said, this is oftentimes when people yeah. are banging at your door. Something has gone wrong, <laughs> and what we think about when something has gone wrong is get somebody from PR on the phone mm-hmm. immediately. So, yeah. how does Fraser Hybe define PR? Yep. And then let's talk about uh, crisis management. Uh, from a PR perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so public relations, literally like, let's just break down that terminology. Like we are talking about building relationships with different types of groups of people and any business it ha- might have customers there, but there is a much more robust um you know, wheel of stakeholders that might come into contact with your business in some ways. And and many go overlooked or, you know, aren't really given much thought. In a lot of cases, it's all about the customer. And for obvious reasons, that makes sense. But we always try to make sure that, you know, our clients are thinking about every potential scenario, because especially in this, you know, mobile, global, interconnected world, There's a lot of complexity and you never know where you might be tripped up. And so I will say, yes, you can call us if you know what has hit the fan, but I highly recommend working with a partner to do that strategic scenario planning and thinking through what potential crises might come down the pike so that you can be prepared and and act incredibly swiftly when the time comes. So, more generally, again, public relations is about building two way dialogue between all of those potential stakeholders. It's about not just crafting a message and determining what you want to say to potential investors, for example, but rather it's, you know, we see ourselves as equally accountable to those stakeholders as we are to our clients. So, yes, we can craft a really great message strategy, but we are not at the service of our clients if we are not bringing them information and insight about the people that they wish to influence, because the message ultimately isn't going to, it's not going to sit well if we haven't done that due diligence. Um, And, you know, pivoting back to crisis, taking that approach ultimately is going to put you in a better position if and when you do have something go awry, because you've done, you've, you've taken the time to build up that goodwill and you've built those relationships with people that know who you are and what you stand for and in many cases where we've worked with um you know brands and organizations that you know e- even if you think about a company like a cable company or your power company those are types of those are brands that we're not thinking about at all until the bill comes or it doesn't work <laughs> and it's really interesting when you really put in the time to both humanize those brand, those kinds of brands to build relationships with people so that they are thinking about your brand in ways that aren't just about the more painful moments, and you can track and measure um, success where we can look and say after you know this this PR strategy's been put in place we have fewer calls to the call center we have higher positive sentiment across our social channels we have when when the cable goes out or the power goes out we have people actually coming to our defense on social media to say hey we're really excited that you know our the the guys are the guys and gals are out there working to get the power back on it's it's not just about saying oh, the power's out and therefore I can't stand this particular brand. So doing that homework, and and we always say PR is a long game. It's not just about like, let's put out a press release and say we're doing PR. That That is not PR. That is a very small, insignificant tactic. Um, it truly is about building meaningful
0: relationships over time. So I imagine when you when you come across a situation like this, you know, it's like the old adage, if you're already in a hole, just stop digging. Like just here's where we are. Just uh-huh. give me your phone uh-huh. me on Twitter. Just stop for a minute. Right. I'm guessing that's probably rule number one in crisis management. Rule number one.
1: Again, when everything hits the fan, it is it becomes fact finding mode because we need to become the source of information, authenticity and trans and transparency is so critical during these times because there is such a short window where as soon as something goes public, people are looking for information. They want to know what happened. They want to know why it happened. And they want to know what you're going to do to make sure it never happens again. And so, again, that's why it's really important that we do that scenario planning and we have a crisis preparedness plan in place so that we can act nimbly. We can source the right information. We have all of the um the communication structure internally to make sure that the right people are on the front lines, have the right information so that we can combat that a bit because the moment you do not have control of the flow of information, or if you wait too long to share what information you do have available, that narrative is not in your control anymore. And speculation, especially now we're in a 24 seven news cycle, social media is, has completely flipped the script on how brands and organizations address these types of situations. Um, So, you know, again, we we try to do as much planning and preparedness so that we're not scrambling and making mistakes and to your to your point, digging the hole any deeper. Um, It's truly about doing the right thing. And that's that's an important point for us too, you know, as as an agency, we always want to make sure that we are partnering with brands and organizations that are going to be willing to do the right thing in the hardest of times, and are going to be willing to take that level of accountability when it makes sense. Because we do not see ourselves as spin people. We do not see ourselves as fixers that are just gonna brush things under the rug for us. That is not how we define PR or crisis communication. For us, it is about helping brands and organizations do the right thing and make sure that they are coming out on the other side um, you know, with, with those relationships just as strong, if not stronger than before.
0: All right. Well, you just threw me the alley-oop to my final question. You set that up perfectly because when we come back, <laughs> we're going to talk about the battle that probably happens between taking responsibility, aka doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and then uh, what that might mean in terms of legal responsibility that communications and legal. I know those press releases have to go back and forth. Even though you want to say it a certain way, legal might have something to say about what goes out in terms of communication. We're going to come back and talk about that. This is our final break before we wrap this thing up. Support for 614 Startups comes from the law firm of Dickinson Wright with over 500 attorneys working from 19 offices across the U.S. and Canada. They handle all types of business transactional law, including advising privately held and venture-backed companies in capital raising, mergers and acquisition and transactions involving technology, software, data and e-commerce. Partner Alex Brown serves as outside counsel to startup companies ranging from business entity selection and formation, protection and commercialization of technology assets, conducting business online and data security issues. For more information, visit DickinsonRight.com. All right, Alex is my guy, but you get Alex and Lauren in the room and it's a crisis. Let's see who wins. All right, so how as a communication department, do you do what's right when there's some legal liability, especially some financial liability on the table? What does that battle look like? I love this question, especially because I am married to an attorney. <laughs> And we
1: have had this debate many times before. Um, Ultimately, it comes down to doing as counselors, whether you're general counselor or your communications counselor, we are trying to do what's in the best interest of the organization that we serve. And yes, there are plenty of you know lawyer jokes. We many a PR person has scoffed at the fact that a press release has to go to legal for approval. Um, but I think when you think about the fact that you know they are doing their job and they are trying to protect the organization, as are we, but we come at it from very different points of view. So again, I'm a communicator, I'm a relationship person. I, that is one of the first relationships I try to build within an organization, whether they have general counsel or outside counsel, I try to introduce myself. Um, I want to make sure that they understand where I'm coming from and what my process is. And likewise, I want to understand how they operate, what's important to them, how they look and examine certain things. And, you know, by starting off that relationship, not from a place of, um, you know, going up against each other, but rather in collaboration and service of the client, that's a great place to start. And then if you are in the thick of things and we are dealing with something that's challenging, especially if there's massive financial implications, um, it is about thinking through the long-term benefit. And again, having all of those key decision makers, you know, huddle around the proverbial table and say, look guys, this is what is going to be most important for the long-term reputational success of this organization. And there is data that shows the faster you respond to a crisis, the more transparent, the more transparent you are in times of crisis, the faster your stock price will bounce back. This is for public companies. Of course, there's a really great study on this. And, you know, I, I try again as a counselor to educate and to pull them along and say, yes, there might be some short-term benefit of us not releasing certain information or really watering down our message or pulling certain details that might, you know, ruffle some feathers or you know cause cause again some short term angst, but we've got to play the long game, especially if you're going to be an organization that's going to be around for the long haul. Um, Any time that there is a crisis, there is an opportunity to again do the right thing and demonstrate that transparency and authenticity.
0: Yeah, I can see you going back and forth with legal, having no agreement, and then deciding with the executive board, hey, this guy gets thrown under the bus. All right, Lauren, I know that's what's <laughs> happening behind the scenes. Uh, and that's Aww. a wrap, folks. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on this thank episode. You. Great, I'm sure we will have you back again to do more of this, especially if there's something in the media or in the news we could get your opinion on. From I a PR perspective, all right? Now, I close every show with my one takeaway and like like life insurance, PR, get, get it before you need it, all right? Talk to a professional before you actually need it because PR is a long game, all right? You'll find this in all episodes on our website, 614startups.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and all your favorite podcasting platforms. Don't forget to subscribe and write a review. Lauren, you need to subscribe. If you would like updates sent to your inbox, you can sign up for our weekly newsletter on the website. To engage in the 614 Startups community, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, YouTube. Uh, And we're at 614 Startups on all those platforms to join the conversation. Of course, if you wanna be a sponsor, all these great sponsors out here supporting local media, you can email us at info at 614startups.com. Thank you for joining us on another episode. Peace.